Hey guys, it's Emma and Shannon, and welcome back to She's an Engineer. In today's episode, we are going to talk about starting a business, and we are going to interview our friend Eric. So Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey everyone, I'm Eric. So I I, I like to say that I, I fell into starting a business, but uh, I you know I was a computer science uh, major in um, university. I went to the University of Pittsburgh with uh, with both Emma and Shannon, and uh, you know so I, I graduated with my degree in computer science kind of um, around the same time is when I ended up starting my business called Root Health. But uh, that's that's pretty much my my rough background. Okay, great. So how did you end up starting this business? Or why don't you tell us a little bit about what your business entailed? Yeah, thanks. So um, it, it's, a, it's a kind of like super niche field. It's in clinical trials. But what we do is we, we kind of um, help patients get into clinical trials. So, um, you know, from your initial contact into uh, getting some more medical information from them, you know, do you meet the age range? Do you have the kind of um, diseases that, that we're looking for the way into scheduling an appointment? So that's kind of what, what we specialize in. Um, and then the, the core of that, the technology piece of that is that the whole thing happens um, automatically through a chatbot. So it all happens via text message. Um, there's no kind of human input in any of that. It just, you know, the, the, the bot can introduce the the um can introduce the study can go from there you know kind of run, run them through the entire process um, handling any any deviations that that are needed um, and it does that without any human connection or any kind of uh, human connection is the wrong word but any kind of human handholding there oh great so it's like pretty automated correct yep yep yeah that's one 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 of the core tenants that that we focused on when building it and when kind of, uh, you know, kind of think, thinking about the idea was just making sure that these nurses who had 200 patients to call every single day, you know, with our help would only have 50 patients to call a day. So that, that was, that's kind of the, the core tenant. Great. How did you guys end up thinking of this idea? Yeah, um, we, we fell into this. So we, um, I'll, I'll kind of rewind back. So I was in, a, um, I was in an internship at UPMC Enterprises uh, which, for those who don't know, is UPMC is a big hospital network in Pittsburgh, um, and then UPMC Enterprises is kind of their their venture arm. Uh, they they also have a couple of products that they work on themselves. So I was doing an internship as part of uh, one. I was working on one of their products there, and, and I ended up meeting my co-founder uh, Raj. So from there, we we kind of you know we knew that both of us were interested in healthcare, and both of us were interested in companies and things like that. Um, then after our internship at UPMC we ended up kind of striking up a friendship and eventually he said, you know, like, Hey, like, let's, let's start a company together. Um, so me being kind of, you know, wide eyed and interested, I said, sure, why not? We explored a whole bunch of ideas, um, all around the medical area around like healthcare, um, in pretty close partnership with like the, um, Carnegie Mellon and university of Pittsburgh, like the innovation departments kind of always use them as like sounding boards. Um, so we went through three or four ideas, one of them being like Snapchat for dietitians. We, we did, we pretty much like cloned the Fitbit app at some point. Um, but then eventually we, we kind of hit up upon this idea of automation in clinical trials. Um, and then we started talking to people about this and they were like, oh, that's, that's new. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that, w- that was one of the more, more interesting pieces was when all these advisors that we talked to before all, all of a sudden they started saying like, oh, this one has tenants. Like I can, I can see a business in this. So that, that, that's what kind of started the, the whole concept. Um, and then it obviously grew from there and changed and morphed into exactly what we do now. 
but yeah, it was, it was, it was largely, you know, from, from a series of failed startups, we read a couple of news articles on clinical trials and said, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely like an unmet, unmet need. Speaking from like a medical point of view, I just have a quick question. Like, how do you guys deal with like HIPAA and privacy with like patient information? Yeah, so um, the platform is is HIPAA compliant. Now, that was all like strapped together through just reading, um, you know, like I, I went through and I read all the all the uh, the guidelines that are that are provided, as well as, you know, kind of going through the, the different um, checklists that people have online. But that's that's kind of the, the large point was that was all self-taught. Um, just because we, we, you know, being being a startup, we couldn't actually afford to hire a consulting firm to to get us compliance or anything. So it was it was all, you know, just kind of following best practices. Um, I was actually lucky that in one of my internships at UPMC, I was working with their kind of HIPAA compliance team to, you know, give our app HIPAA compliance. So you know, I, I, had, I had a kind of a kind of closer uh, closer ear to to what what needed to be done. Um, and then as well as just staying like on the safe side of everything, right? If, if it was a potential worry, we just didn't do it. So that was kind of the, the goal of, of that. So after your trial and error period, when you were talking to advisors and kind of had a set idea for this business, how did you get this off the ground? Emma mentioned you did some sort of think tank project and I don't know if you I got funding. I think you did the so. big idea competition. Oh. Correct. Yep. Yep. That, that was actually uh, later in the company idea. Um, actually, uh, that that was more so for validation than than for for kind of forming the idea itself. But that that being said, we 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 did uh, we just kind of applied for every single startup pitch competition that happened in Pittsburgh for that year. We we you know it was like us and like four other startups were there every single event, always doing like a more refined like better version of the pitch. Um, but what we found along that was that for each event, they would they would give you a mentor, usually be a different mentor. And then we just kind of work with that mentor to, to figure out, you know, how, how do we bring this um, super complex topic that is clinical research to a, a kind of more, um, I, I don't want to say normal audience because it's not that hard to understand. Um, but it's just an audience that's not really often exposed to clinical research. You know, so that, that, that was one of the, the challenges that, that we had also was was having to teach people about clinical trials in the first two minutes of our pitch and then pitching why our solution was better for clinical trials with, with the last three minutes that were, that, that were left. But I would attribute that to what really helped us round out the idea, you know, kind of going from like, hey, like, we need to help nurses <laughs> to learning what the terminology was, you know, it kind of exactly where, where we fit, what the overall structure of a, of a clinical trial is, right? What, what components it, it breaks down to. Um, and then kind of being able to, to point to two of them and say, we hyper-focus on these two areas. But that was, uh, you know, it was, it was helpful. Got it. And if I'm not mistaken, you guys also did some sort of like venture capital type approach. Yep. So that that, that would be um, I would say that that was our our inflection point almost was largely throughout the universities. It, it, it was it was like an idea and a side project with, you know, we the, the hope for it becoming a business. Um, but then again, you know, we talked to a whole bunch of doctors and they were like, oh, cool, you're a Pitt student. Like, I'll, I'll chat with you. But they never had the intention of buying the product because why would you buy a product from, you know, some, somebody who largely doesn't know anything about clinical research and is trying to sell you a product. So, so that, that, that was that. But once we got the kind of validation from this outside firm, right, that, 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 you know, they, they gave us some money, um, they gave us office space and, and they provided that real like kick of validation to say like, Oh, like 
this isn't just an idea. We could see this being a business, right? There's, there's, um, at the time, there was lots of investment in clinical trials companies. They were growing like crazy. Bigger companies were buying them, foreshadowing there. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that, that's, that's uh, from, from their perspective, they kind of turned it, in, turned it from a, a student project into a business. And then we, we took that exact same approach when, once we joined them, was we, we had to really formalize and figure things out and actually incorporate as a company, you know, from, from like a legal standpoint, um, was, was all when, 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 when that happened. Got it. How long did it take you to start this business? And also, is it your full-time job now? Um, it, it was my full-time job. Uh, so we were recently mm-hmm. acquired by a, a larger company. So, you know, so now, now I work for this, for this other company, but, uh, at, at the time it, it was my full-time job for about a year from the ideation period was like a year and a half to two years. And that was, um, you know, just like heads to the ground, just talking to anybody and everybody who would listen to us, trying to learn from different doctors and PhDs and people who run clinical trials at the University of Pittsburgh, um, as well as Carnegie Mellon. You know, we, we interviewed well over 50, maybe like 75 to 100 individual doctors, um, PIs, nurses, coordinators, study team members, you know, just to kind of get a semblance for what their problems are. And that, that's what really helped us to kind of build out the, the product itself. Um, and kind of hone in on, on that specific idea. Uh, and that was about two years. <laughs> and then one, once we got this influx of cash, I could start working on it full time. Then I started building out the product more thoroughly. Um, we signed our first contract. We launched with our first customer. Uh, and, then, and then we kind of grew, grew from there into, uh, into the next kind of stage. But, but I, would, I, would, I would say that um, the first year was maybe like light, right? Nights and weekends kind of thing. The second year was a lot more focused, a, a lot more involved. And then, um, you know, just that last like six months, we, we grew, grew exponentially. I see. Wow. That first year, were you still in school? Yeah, for the first two years, I, I, I was in school. So, which was really nice, though, in hindsight, right? I, I didn't have to like find a salary and work a nine to five or whatever. Right? I was I was I was a student. You know, I, I didn't I didn't have to worry too much about about anything like that, as well as one like once again, I, I can't. I would attribute a lot of our success to those very, very friendly doctors who said, like, yeah, I'll sit down with you for an hour and explain to you how a clinical trial works. Um, you know, I, I, I imagine if I emailed somebody today, they, they, they'd just say no. <laughs> but it was, it was great to be, to be, you know, like, like the student learning something. Well, that's good. Yeah. I like how, like, Pitt is, like, so closely connected with UPMC. It's, like, very helpful for, for students. What would you say you used from your undergraduate degree and what you've learned in undergrad? Um, like, how much does that apply to your current position? Yeah, so that's a good question because it's uh, in computer science, it's like there's like the two kind of schools of thought, which is that there's computer science, which is like the theory, right? So that, that's that's what can teach you, you know, the, the fundamentals of computing, you understand everything inside and out. Uh, then there's software development, which is how do you actually build a product? Uh, you know, how, how do you how do you build features that users actually care about that they want? How do you release a product, right? How do you host it? How do you make sure that it doesn't go down every night at midnight, right? All, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I'd say Pitt did a great job at the computer science part. And then your internships and, and my learnings and kind of doing hackathons and stuff rounded out my software development experience. Towards the end of my degree, so like when I got into my electives more so than my uh, required classes, um, Pitt had some really good electives on 
like testing, for example, or you know th things that you would be doing in, in kind of a traditional software engineering job, um, as opposed to the theory of computer science. They both absolutely go hand in hand, though. But uh, I, I know Pitt's program has changed significantly now that the uh, computer science school or computer science department is now a whole school. So that that's that's probably you know changing up some tracks and things. But um, yeah, it was. You know, I guess to answer your question more more directly, it was super direct, right? <laughs> Everything I learned about how to program for my undergrad degree just went directly into building this this company, building the product. Well, that's good. Um, so, would you recommend for people who are interested in starting a business, like, would you recommend that they do a computer science degree, or do you think anyone from like any type of STEM field uh, would be able to to do what you did? Um, I would say anybody because a large part of what we ended up building in Root what has nothing to do with computer science or anything like that. It has to do with finding a problem that people wanted, um, you know, that, a, a problem that people needed solved. And, and that was by far the hardest part and that was by far the most rewarding part. <laughs> so, you know, it ha has its, its, uh, its two sides there. But that's uh, a completely learned trait, right? It, you know, it, I, I just had to talk to as many people as possible and just just kind of fumble through it. Um, my my co-founder and I, Raj and I, we, we we fumbled through it for the most part, just to get to understand, you know, how do you ideate a product? How how do you validate an idea? How do you figure out who's kind of just saying, oh, that sounds cool, to to appease you, and, and who's saying, oh, that's cool, as in like I will sign a contract with you in in a month, right? Um, th those are super different um, skills than than you learn in school. Um, that being said, you know, it's like once you do sign that first contract. Now you need to execute, and you need to execute really fast. So by that part, I would say it was super beneficial to for for me to be able to build the product because I was you know working directly with that first customer to 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 build it. You know they they were they were giving us ideas, and I was saying cool. I would validate them, and then I would turn around and go build them. Um, and it was it was really useful to have that super tight feedback loop, which um, I I also think about, you know, like, what if I'd run like a medical device startup, for, for example, uh, where you have hardware to, to figure out and all that kind of stuff, and your feedback loop is months instead of hours or, or days. Uh, and, you know, I have no clue how they do that. <laughs> so, you know, there, there, there's there's a whole different levels of experience and, and things like that, that, that venture into, um, you know, that, that kind of add to the whole of how it happened. Got it. Yes. So along the lines of the last two questions, did you take any business classes while you were at Pitt or is a lot of this just learned through your experience? Um, I took I took no business classes. Yeah. So I, pretty much ev everything was self-taught. Um, my senior year, I took a I took an entrepreneurship class with the, um, the leader of the um, Innovation Institute at Pitt. And that class was great. Um, but to be honest, I largely took it as just like a way to work on Root, but get class credit for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I, I turned that into my class project. I, I turned it into like like a way to, you know, to like evaluate pitches and, and to figure out what like graphics should look like and all, all that kind of stuff. So but, you know, I, I would I would classify that as being my, my only business class that I took at Pitt. But it, it was much more so product focused than, than it was like how to run a business focused. Okay. But did your co-founder have any business experience, or was he also a computer science major? Uh, he was he was doing his MBA at Carnegie Mellon, so it's like all business, right? Like he had no no kind of product experience. He came entirely from the business side. Um, that being said, like we started during his first year of his MBA, I believe. 
So he largely, you know, had, he'd been in, in industry before, um, but never, you know, like in like the, the kind of the startup world or never, never kind of built a startup himself either. Was it always a two person operation? Did you have to add people along the way? Yeah, so we ended up um, when when we sold the company, it was four of us. So we we, okay. we kept it really really lean and tight. Uh, we had one um, salesperson and then one engineer, um, both friends of ours. So you know it was it was it was kind of nice to have like like a tight group of four guys that were just just executing right. We were we were having lots of fun together, um, building a good product and, and selling it to a whole bunch of people. So it was it was nice. Got it. How did you decide to hire these people? Yeah, so the software developer that we hired was a friend of mine from college, um, and he had been working with us kind of like off and on since the days of our um, our earlier uh, less good ideas, <laughs> where he, he's, he's just a guy who's super interested in just building things. Uh, he's really curious, and he's naturally like like just, just interested in, in, you know, like helping people. So we were super, super, super thankful, um, and we gave him some equity up front, um, but he didn't take a salary until like our last like eight months of the company un- until we got bought. And then the salesperson was, it was, it was actually um, the, the husband of one of our first customers was, uh, he, he heard her uh, talk, talking about the product and how much she loved it and everything. And he eventually said, you know, like, hey, like I, I have sales experience. I can, I can, I can help these guys out. Cause we were, we honestly, we were struggling to figure out how to kind of bring the message to, to different sites and, and, and different customers. So he kind of came on like a bit, a bit like unofficially, like, we, you know, we'd have a couple of Zoom meetings with everybody and we'd say like, hey, like, what, what do you think about this new idea? And then eventually he just said, no, 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 like these guys need like real help. Um, <laughs> and then and then he joined in a, in a more full-time-ish capacity uh, with sales commissions and things like that. But he was super instrumental and in, I mean, both, both, both of them, right? So the software engineer was super instrumental in helping us push out more features faster. So while I was, you know, busy doing demos for new customers or, 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 or you know, kind of working on the kind of technical stuff that we need to do in terms of documentation and change logs and all this stuff that comes with, with running a software business, um, he, you know, he, he, could, he was just, you know, heads, heads to the ground, con- constantly pushing new features out. And then on the sales side, while Raj and I were was focusing on doing company taxes and things like that, he was just cold calling sites and you know doing doing all all, all that kind of stuff. So I I feel like that was a, a really great team, um, and and we we did really well. We did some good stuff. Good. I'm not sure if anyone knows too much about how you do like user testing for this type of product. So we had we we largely had two users, right? So we had. The user that was the uh, the patient on on the other end of the text message uh, virtual assistant that was actually you know like interacting with the virtual assistant and asking questions and replying to to things like that. Uh, then on the other hand, we had the user that was the, like the study team, so the people who would log into the website every day and read the messages that that were being sent and and got the appointments um, you know that that were being scheduled and things like that. So those two user groups were super different. One was really difficult to test for, and one was really easy to test for. So the people with the website were super easy to test for, right? A, a website's a website, like you, you click a button, it works, or it or it doesn't work. Um, luckily, we got it. We we kept it like straightforward. So that part was a lot of validating with early customers. You know, uh, I I wouldn't say so much like testing. Um, we do the testing by ourselves, but then we always validate new features. We'd have like a twenty minute, thirty minute call with people to say like, hey, like. 
is this something that you'd be interested in? More often than not, they'd say yes, and then, and then we'd go out and build it over the next like week or so. Now, on the other hand, validating the, the patient conversations and the kind of language we're using, the length of the messages, the frequency of the messages, uh, what time we send them, like all of that kind of stuff was up in the air. It was, it was, it was trial and error um, until we started getting higher response rates, and then we just kept going with that. So in the beginning, it was extremely freeform. We were largely just like a, like a notification service, if, if you can imagine that. So we'd just send messages out to people. <laughs> um, and then eventually people started replying. And then as the replies started coming in, we, we slowly learned um, what people wanted, what information they, they were looking for, as well as just the kind of the diverse nature of conversations, right? So the fact that you can type anything into that little box and hit send, uh, we have to be able to handle that, that anything. So we saw a lot of things from you know, people being um, like frustrated with with like clinical research in general, where you know maybe they they, they had been contacted before, and then all of a sudden you know they just got radio silence um, from them, which is one of the things that, that we're trying to solve is that that, that that ends up happening is that you start you start an email chain with the coordinator, they get some information from you, they determine you not to be eligible, and then they never reply to you again. <laughs> so we saw lot, lots of kind of frustration from from that side of things, as well as people just being uh, one one of the funnier things that happened was. We always provided appointment reminders as like one of the most basic default things that we always did because we knew that patients loved them. And we kept getting patients saying like, oh, thank you so much for this reminder. I, I almost forgot that my appointment was, was tomorrow. You know, I have X, Y, Z to do. I'm going to go grocery shopping. Like, thank you. And the bot would just kind of fall over because they didn't really understand how to reply to like a thank you message. Um, <laughs> so we so we very quickly had to had to swoop in and, and, and kind of save those conversations and then and then add the ability for the bot to accept like thank you as a as a response. Which, which was something that, that we never expected, but it was, it was kind of one, one of those funny things that ended up happening. That's really funny. <laughs> that, like, they would expect someone, would they expect someone to answer? Like, would patients, do you think patients would be confused if the bot didn't answer to thank you? It was, it was a bit of a mix, kind of very highly divided on the age of the patient, where the younger patients just kind of got it. They were like, oh, cool, virtual assistant, I'll treat this like Alexa, Siri, whatever, right? And then, and then there were the slightly older patients. Some of them got it. Some of them were like a little bit like verbose in their text messages, where they'd say like, oh, you know, thank you so much for, for providing me this reminder. And then we got some people who just never got it. They, they kind of always thought they were talking to a human, um, despite the fact that we had lots and lots of cues. <laughs> like when we introduce ourselves, we make sure to say we're, we're you know, your friendly virtual assistant. We, uh, you know, the, the bot has the name Root. So it's like, like, like R-O-O-T, definitely not a, a typical human name. So we had a bunch of cues that some people just kind of never picked up on. That being said, you know, I, I think it's a, a testament to how well some of the aspects of the product work is that people were absolutely convinced that this was a human that they were talking to and they had no doubt in their mind, which is scary, but also like endearing at the, at the exact same time as, you know, being, being the person who, who built that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How did you go about making this accessible to a wide range of ages and disabilities and whatnot? Yeah, so um, I think one of the better things we did was completely reject the idea of using an app. Um, so in clinical trials now, everybody wants their patients to download an app and then remember username and password, and then they get a notification like five times a day. And one, one of our big things that we set up front was no app, no username, no password, no pin codes, like nothing, right? We, we want this to be as accessible and easy as possible to patients. 
now text messages have a, a 98%, I, I feel like I'm giving a pitch here, but text messages have a 98% read and response rate, uh, which is just absurdly high compared to emails or even like apps. So we, we, we really lucked out that in every message we send, 98% of the people are, are like reading it and kind of understanding the content before they choose to say like, no thanks, not right now, or whether they say like, yeah, I'm super interested. And, and we do kind of give them that, that, that opportunity uh, versus like an email is super one-sided where they don't actually really have the opportunity to, to reply. But in terms of what content to use and how to uh, keep it friendly was guess and check again, right? We, we validated it with some people that we knew that had been in clinical trials before, um, it was never numbers that I was like super confident with. It was it was never like a hundred people. It was always like five or six people. You know, we, we kind of ran it by them, and then and then the coordinators also, right? So the coordinator, their their day to day job is just to interact with patients, so they know what topics to avoid. You know, what things to say, how how to kind of save a conversation, how to how to prompt somebody to provide some more information. So we kind of took cues from them and said like let's let's um let's personify a coordinator. Or sorry, let's let's uh, let's kind of copy a coordinator and then personify the bot as being that coordinator, which was helpful. But then again, mm-hmm. the messages at the beginning, the messages changed like once a week at the very least, and that was over the span of like three to four months. We were just we were just reading every single conversation that was happening, figuring out how to make it better, and then changing something, whether it's a single word, whether it's the length of the sentence, um, you know, checking all all that kind of stuff. And then modifying it, seeing if it worked. If it didn't work, we'd revert it. If it did work, we'd we'd keep going, and we just keep kind of iterating on on that that best like first message almost, because it it really is a pitch, right? You 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 need to get a patient interested, um, you know, into this clinical trial. You have to let them know that they that they can ask questions, they can ask ask follow up questions, and you also need them to take this random survey that that, that you're sending them. So we tried to make the surveys as simple as possible. We tried to make the messages as simple as possible, um, and all of that kind of in in uh, the hopes of enticing somebody in in into a clinical trial, right? Just you know, just making sure that they were that they fully understood what what they were doing when they did this. Um, and then we'd always connect them to a coordinator where they can kind of go through a more full fledged com- conversation for an hour to understand kind of the ins and outs of the of of the whole trial. But the point was that they weren't doing that with. 100 people, they were doing that with five people, <laughs> you know, so we, we just kind of ex- exponentially saved their time on, on that front. Right. Yeah. So when, so I'm trying to understand how this gets into the hands of the patient itself. Like, is it, so you mentioned like a website with your, like your customer's website. So is it just like a link that people are clicking on a customer's website like let's say they're like hold hosting like these clinical trials on their website they're saying like if you're interested in participating in a clinical trial like text this number yep so that was that was one way of of kind of starting the conversation the other way uh which most people end up using is that sites so sites being like a doctor's office that runs a clinical trial they they keep lists of pretty much everybody who they've ever contacted and they keep some generic in information about them, right? So, like, if you have uh, diabetes, for example, your age, um, you know, thing, things things like that. And they would 
the first kind of first line of attack for any clinical trial for for recruiting for any clinical trial was to run through that list and find the people that you think might be eligible. Now, once they had that list, they would just upload it into Root. Root would reach out systematically and methodically. You know, every day at 10 a.m., it would send it out to 150 people. You know, get get their responses and everything, and then forward those on to the to the coordinators from there. But that was one of the the kind of the the main way that we did it. We tested a whole bunch of methods because we wanted to not just um, allow people to communicate, but we wanted people to like innovate, to, to be able to, to provide new forms of communication for their patients to come in. So one of them was, you know, text this keyword to, to this number, you know, so text diabetes to blah, 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 right? And then that would um, kind of start you as, as a patient where you could post that on Facebook um, or you could post it on your website or you can see it on, on, on a flyer on the bus, for example. And you could like say like, oh, I'm interested in this. Let me like learn more about it and kind of take that initial first step myself. Because that's something that clinical trials are not super well known about by the general population. So so we, we figured, you know, how, how can we actually improve this? And texting in was one of the other ones. Uh, we have like um, form submissions. Uh, that's actually one of the more recent features we've, we've developed is, you know, kind of uh, going in directly from a website that a patient can give us their first name, their last name, their phone number, kind of the rough studies that they're interested in, and they hit save, uh, then they'll, you know, immediately get a text message from Root saying, hey, we think you might be good for this trial. So, you know, it, it really kind of shortens that span of interaction where the patient can be submitting the form at, at, at midnight when they're, when they're, like, nervous or interested or anything like that, um, and they get a response at 12.02 a.m. With, with just the intro to the study, and they get to learn more, and, and it's always there for them. One thing that I was interested in was like, how does valuation by like a startup accelerator work? Yeah, so I can only speak for my experiences at uh, Alpha Lab uh, was the was the accelerator that we went to, but they had two different valuations, so they could um, they could invest uh, a certain amount of money at a lower valuation or a higher amount of money at a higher valuation into your company. And that, that was kind of like the, the seed fund, essentially. They, I, I'm, I'm unsure how they pegged the valuation, but I believe it was largely based on like a combination of like market cap and time to market. So for example, like we had a beta product built before we even entered their, their accelerator. So they said like, oh, okay, so these people can sign contracts in four or six months versus people that were just starting out with an idea is they, they would have to build their product first and then they could start executing on it. So I would imagine for the accelerator viewpoint, um, that's like a little bit less of a surefire bet, right? If, if you can't actually build the product, you're definitely not going to be able to sell it. And then there's also, you know, like what, what market are you targeting? So clinical trials is a, is a huge market. Um, there's, there's so much activity go, going on. There's so many different clinical trials going on. It's only going to grow, especially in other countries around the world. Um, so I, I think that that definitely has helped our, our valuation in, in the past. Got it. So for those who aren't in the business world, what exactly is a startup accelerator? Yeah, so that's an excellent question. <laughs> so in, in, an accelerator is kind of positioned to take you with uh, maybe in, an idea and like a beta product or a couple customers and just accelerate you, right? So they, 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 they want to give you the resources you need, uh, whether that be marketing resources, 
um, you know, help with like legal stuff. Um, and then they give you some money, obviously, up front and some kind of office space and a community of, of other founders to just help you out. Right. And, and it's super free form and every company uses different perspectives of it. Um, I know we use the, the marketing help a lot was just to figure out how to sell our product. Uh, we, you know, we, we use their their mentors that were um, excellent at marketing and copywriting and everything. And we bounced so many ideas off of them and, and worked with them super closely to figure out how to put together a website that, that customers would, would see a viable product on. I know some of the other companies um, had some like legal challenges where they were in more, um, not like challenges per se, but just like, you know, they, they wanted to stay on, on the right side of compliance. And, and it was just great to have this bigger organization in your court that was totally willing to, to let you chat with their lawyers and, and do all, all, all that kind of stuff um, to, to figure out, you know, how to stay on, on the right side of that. But uh, yeah, it's a, you know, it's just a, a way to make your company grow faster. Okay. And for people who are having troubles with building their product, does a startup accelerator also do that? Yes, to a certain extent, yes. They won't like build your product for you, but they could definitely put you in touch with people who have built and scaled existing products before. And I'm sure you know those people would be more than happy to help you out. So they had a, um, I, I forget his title, um, but he, he was a former CTO, a chief technology officer at many different companies. And he was super fundamental in helping us kind of build an architecture for our product that was super scalable just something that we we did not want to go off and build a product and then figure out in six months that we had already out, outgrown it and then tear it all down and rebuild it again um so he helped us kind of v- use our our vision for how big the company would be or, and how much we need to scale each like individual customer uh, and then he said build towards that <laughs> which was super helpful in 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 terms of those those words um, as well as just having, you know, somebody with that much experience on, on under under his belt. So. Right. Just in general question, what was the biggest challenge that you had to overcome during this whole startup period of the business? <laughs> I felt like every day there was a new challenge because, it, I mean, I would say that's also because it, it was all new to us. Like, for example, mm-hmm. when I joined payroll, we had to figure out how to do payroll. <laughs> so that, that, that was hours of trolling through through that, that kind of documentation and registering with the Pennsylvania, I, the, you know, the, the tax authorities in Pennsylvania. Then I moved to Massachusetts and then we did it all over again <laughs> to, you know, to, to allow me to work in Massachusetts. So there, there, there was kind of that side of things. I guess the biggest challenge and the thing that I, I would argue that we never like really succeeded on was um, getting customers to just understand why they needed this product. So effectively marketing ourselves in a way that customers totally just understood and got it and it clicked for them. Um, so we had so many customers that they were like, okay, like, you know, I'm down, let's use this on like a temporary basis. You know, we'll, we'll pay you some small fee just to use the product on one trial. Um, and they'd use it and they'd immediately fall in love with it. And they were like, why didn't you tell us it like does this during the pitch? And, and I'm like, oh, oh, crap, we totally forgot about that. Um, and they, they just loved like certain small bits that we didn't think were really important to like it, attract somebody into the product or into the company. Um, but once they were there, they got it and they found it and they saw it and they loved it. So, you know, they, that, that was one of the things that we, we iterated on a, a ton kind of starting from like, oh, like this sends reminders for you. Uh, and some people were interested in that. And then we got into like, 
all the way down to like, uh, like, like you can use this platform as a virtual check-in solution. When COVID started, that was super important was, was to say, you know, like, Hey, like stay in your car to text the word check-in and then a nurse will come out and get you when it's your, your appointment time. Um, and that was one, one of the, the kind of quintessential features that we just, we didn't send an email to anybody, we just kind of silently launched it. <laughs> and then some people discovered it and they were like, this is awesome. Like I'm, I'm using this for more trials just for this one feature. Uh, as um, um, amongst you know the organization and, and things like that, but but we never did a good job at at figuring out which specific features people would just fall over for and which ones were causing them to sign contracts. Yeah. So, what do you think your biggest along the same lines? What do you think your biggest like success was in terms of building the company? Oh, we. I mean, uh, this is coming from my perspective from the product side, but. We built a good product, <laughs> like like we you know we're we've we've since uh, ever since we we got acquired we've expanded with within this company into uh, like ten or twelve of their trials and we're largely having no no troubles you know it, it it's it's just worked at a much larger scale with much more people using it and you know it, it's just kind of a, a testament to how big we thought the company could be at the time um, and we built towards that and and it and it's worked right there you know we we've had to fix some things here here and there it wasn't you know entirely smooth sailing but we haven't had to re-architect the product because you know we have too many people on it, it it's just worked it's, it's kind of you know grown grown with the usage of it uh, and, and it's grown well yeah so you mentioned that you were acquired by a different company is that like a something that you had been looking to do since you started the company or were you looking to like make this into like a like a big you know fully fledged company yeah so we we had always kind of figured that somebody would buy us eventually just by looking at like like when when we first started the company we looked at you know who are the current players in the clinical trial space who are the up and coming players who are like like the, the incumbent players, the, the old players. During the time when we were starting the company, we watched all of the small players get bought up by the bigger players. Like literally every single company got bought by a bigger one um, as, as they were growing, as they were scaling. So we figured, okay, like there's no way we're not going to get offers. There's no way we're, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to, um, you know, maybe want to entertain that. So it was always in, in the back of our minds. We didn't expect the company that bought us, we did not expect them to buy us. Or at least I didn't. Um, you know, we, we signed them on as a customer. We ran like two trials with them. And then they said like, hey, like, this is awesome. Like, like what, what you're building is crazy. I know it's going to help us scale exponentially. Like, we, we, we want to buy you guys. And for me, that that was like an, an awesome moment, um, you know, where they, they like realized the, the use of the product. They, they saw some vision for it, potentially even more vision than we saw, <laughs> you know, in, in, in certain aspects. And uh, they, they, you know, they're, they're now like, we're doing it with them now, so which is an even better perspective. But I would say that we always knew it could be there. We always thought we could also build the company to be like a, like one of the quote unquote incumbent players, right? To you know to become one one of those bigger ones. That being said, it, it's just the, the market moves moves in mysterious ways, <laughs> you know. So we we probably would have had to change up some of what what we were doing focus a lot more on services as opposed to only technology, kind of, you know, do, do like a combination of the both, you know, offer technology enabled services, uh, which, you know, was something we figured would be interesting, but nothing that we had experience in. We had a lot more experience in building a, a product and things like that. So, you know, that, that, was, that was kind of the, the direction that we, that we ended up going in. Do you 
enjoy what you're doing now like in comparison to what you were doing when the startup was get like getting off the ground so now like are you able to like work on the product more and instead of like you know working on payroll and working on taxes and things like that yeah so i I have so so much more fun now actually just you know being able to focus on building the best product as well as kind of so I, i i always um we never really struggled to have you to, to find users that were willing to give us feedback on new features and stuff. Um, but now it's like, it, it's my coworker. Like I'll just ping them on Microsoft teams and be like, Hey, can we hop on a call real quick? And they're always, they're more than willing. The, the, uh, the patient engagement team they're, they're called are extremely open and super friendly about just wanting to make the product better for them. So that part's extremely useful to have is, you know, they, these, these people are 20 year veterans. Uh, they, they, they get it. They, they know what, what makes patients tick. And it's nice to have their experience and, and to just say, you know, are we going down completely the wrong path? And they'll look at me and they'll go, yes, <laughs> uh, which is something that some some of our customers like might not have been as as open about, you know, for, for one reason or, or another. But it's it's good to have that. Um, and, you know, I no longer have to worry about compliance and legal stuff and signing contracts and all of that Um as as much as I liked it, as as much as it, it was interesting, it was uh, it was largely distracting from what I was really really interested in was just building a product that that people love. Great, yeah. So one of our friends had a couple of questions that he wanted me to ask you, so <laughs> that's why I'm asking a few more questions. What would you say, like, led to this buyout, like? Like, what moves did you make, like, as a company to get to that that stage, if that makes sense? Yeah, so, like, how we got on their radar was by selling, we, we just wanted them to be a customer, right? It was, you know, we, we, we pitched them the idea, we kind of went, went through the, the roles there. We got a really great, um, uh, like, like, an internal champion who just saw our vision and saw the company's vision and said, like, these, like, align. Like, like these, you know, there, there, there will be an intersection at some point in, in the near future um, where, where these two things will just be exactly in sync. And he kind of saw that vision, he pushed us with that vision, and he really helped us to sign that, that first contract with them, um, which was for a COVID study, actually, uh, one, one of the COVID vaccine trials. Very cool. Yeah, yep. So, and then, and then you know, that, that part worked out really well. But I think that was kind of what put us on their radar was just just being like, you know, another vendor. But they saw that we weren't doing exactly what they needed. So they have a much larger vision for for what um, for what they actually needed. And we we had always planned to kind of grow into this, but just um, growing naturally versus you know, like growing with a million dollars in your pocket are very different things, <laughs> you know, so, so we were on the grow naturally path. Um, and then they've kind of given us that, that opportunity to, to grow, you know, with, with those resources up front, like we're, we're tripling the size of the team over the span of this month, I think. And, you know, it, all, all that, all, all that kind of stuff that we just never had the opportunity to do. We now have the opportunity to do. Got it. Yeah. So you would say like, just like all of the like everything like coming up to this point is what has led to this like overall success. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, there, there, there was also, there's a lot more com- competition going around now is, you know, in, in the two years of us building the company, a, a lot more people have thought about this idea and nobody's quite done it the same way that we have, but that we saw people kind of inching towards it where they had built something else and they could have 
quite easily pivoted into our space and they would have just eaten our lunch because they were much bigger companies, you know, with much more resources and, you know, much more contracts already out there. So they, you know, we, we, we could have gone bankrupt like overnight if one of the bigger competitors decided to release a text message based solution. Right. Yeah. Shannon, why don't you ask your wrap up question? I also have a wrap up question. Uh, sure. Yeah. I just want to say this is really impressive and congrats for creating a successful business. It's also super interesting to hear about everything that goes into it. What piece of advice would you give to a undergraduate or graduate student that is looking to start some sort of business? My biggest piece of advice is be curious. I think like I wouldn't have started a company if I wasn't curious into what starting a company entailed. And we wouldn't have landed on clinical trials if I, if I was like, oh, like, you know, I, I get them, they're, they're whatever, right? I was just, I just consumed content, like nobody's business about what a clinical trial is. And I found all these different holes. Um, and, and it was one of those holes, it was recruitment that ended up being the niche that, that, we, that we dove down. Um, but it, it kind of all started with just questioning everything <laughs> was I had so many questions and largely I still do, which is to say, you know, why do we do things this way um, as opposed to that way? Um, and it's, it's kind of tough when, when you're talking to like, you know, like a, a 50 year old doctor who's run hundreds and hundreds of clinical trials in, in their, in their lifetime or in, in their professional span. Um, and they look at you and they kind of go like, I don't know. We've just kind of always done it that way. Um, and that, that, that was one, one of the, the keys where I would, I would furiously write down whatever, whatever the question was. And I'd say like, look into that because you know, if, if there's no real reason for why they did that, there can be a new solution. But I think that largely works for most industries and, and most different, um, most, most different, different facets of, of starting a company is you just got to be curious and, and always look for new, new opportunity. Yeah, that's really great advice. So what's the number one thing you learned? Or like, is there anything you would change the next time around if you had to do it again? Yeah, oh, the number one thing I'd change in a heartbeat is do more marketing, like do, get better at marketing, do more marketing, you know, like get a much better semblance of what the of how to sell the product, um, potentially even more than building uh, like b- building a good product is great. But if you can't sell it, it's like there's no point of having built the product in the first place. So, you know, it's like it's like building like a product that, that you're proud of and then just completely pivoting to selling that product, getting people to understand every the ins and outs of it, getting people to understand how it helps them. Um, that was something that we that we struggled with that, you know, I, I, I think that it, it's like the difference between the successful companies now is they're, they're just amazing at marketing, you know, and obviously they back it up with a successful product. But what gets you in the door is the marketing, like very few people you know, see a product that they, that they like, but can't suffer through the website, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to figure out if, if they want it or not. And I, I, I get emails from vendors now and I see this all the time where like their, their email pitch is great. And they go on the website and I see nothing about the product. And I'm very confused where, you know, you, you've put so much effort into your, into your um, outbound sales, but then once I try to learn more information about what the specific feature set is, or, you know, what, what real problem you're trying to solve here, there's just no information there. That, that's that's something that, you know, I, I think we were getting better at towards the end, but, you know, it, we, we just never, never fully got there. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much for doing this with us. I'm sure everyone can learn a lot from, you know, your experience and we appreciate you taking the time to do this interview with us. Yeah, I think that's it, right? 
Awesome. I did. I had a great time. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Yeah. So Shin, you want to wrap us up? Sure. So that's all for this episode, and we'll see you guys again in two weeks. Bye. Bye.